Well, we're going to uh, we're going to finish up Philemon tonight. Let me tell you where we're going next. Um, I um, I don't think we have ever done this one. If we have, I don't remember. And if 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 we did, and you remember, tell me. Uh, I want to do the Book of Acts next. And I don't know that. Does anybody remember since I've been here if we've done the Book of Acts? I don't think we have. And uh, Nikki, do you remember? I don't remember us doing Acts. Sue, do you remember? You you've come to. It'll be good then. Lots of, you know, there's a couple of good things in Acts. A couple of good things happen in there. So, so we'll start the book of Acts next week. So I'm excited. Uh, it's a great book. Now, and let, me, let me give you a little picture. And, and if you want to do something, I think I've told you this before. If you go to take a, a graduate level course, and I don't even, they may be doing this on the bachelor level, but if you take a graduate level course anymore, uh, you don't take a, a class just on the book of Acts. Uh, all of the classes, and I had never really seen this done until really in the last five or six years, they're called Luke-Acts, Luke-Acts, because Luke wrote both of them, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you want to see something pretty neat, read like the last two chapters of the book of Luke, and put your finger over in the first chapter of the book of Acts, and when you hit the last word in Luke, just flip the page, it is absolutely the continuation. Uh, it is, it is like Luke two. It's like second Luke is what the book of Acts is. And that's, it really is. It's a narrative section of scripture talking about what's going on in the church. And, uh, so we may pick up a last, the last few, uh, last few sections of the book of Luke and then go right into Acts and do it that way. Cause I think it'll be a really neat perspective for you. But we'll go to the book of Acts next. It's the birth of the church. So many things about the launching of the gospel out into the world. Lots of neat historical things and also lots of uh, theological and doctrinal things that we find in the book of uh, in the book of Acts. And you get to see the ascension of the Lord right in the first and the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the spread of the church. And uh, my goodness, just lots of good stuff. So um, it'll be uh, it'll be a really good study. Let me pray for us tonight, and then we'll go right to the book of Philemon. Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for each one of these here. Lord, those that might be watching this uh, in a recorded fashion uh, later on, we ask you to bless them. Speak through me. Lord, you know how to speak things uh, that might be seen a month from now that would minister to somebody. You can, uh, you can do that because you're a powerful God, and anything is within your reach. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you for your word and for your anointing and for your conviction. And I thank you for the promise of your coming. Lord, we thank you for all of those that were prayed over Sunday. I pray you would continue to touch. Lord, I pray you'd continue to draw the lost to you. I, can, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to rebuke the enemy who is trying to keep prodigals from coming back to you. I pray, Father, that wisdom would be given. I pray that provision in the form of jobs would come to everyone that needs them. And Father, we pray for physical healing for all those that were prayed for. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to pour out your spirit. We ask you to confirm your word, not ours. Father, confirm your word with signs and wonders. We, uh, we depend upon you. And Lord, I, I believe that uh, we, we can experience the move of God in our time. I believe that. And so, Lord, we tarry and we wait and we long for it. We long for your move and for revival to come and for people to be saved and bodies healed and spirits renewed and lives to be transformed. We rebuke the enemy of all of that, the one that would come to destroy people's lives and to devour them and wants to kill every good thing. Everything that represents you, Father, he wants to destroy. 
And so, Father, we pray you'd bind him and we pray you'd take captive people's thoughts uh, so that they might see clearly, Lord, your love and your goodness and your grace. Lord, I just refuse to accept uh, the norm of this world. We are here, Father, anointed by you to make a difference, and we pray you'd help us to do that. We thank you and we love you. Thank you for each one of these uh, faithful in the room and those watching. We pray you'd bless them and pour out your spirit upon each one in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, once again, thank you so much for be here uh, for being here tonight. We are um, we stopped last week. Uh, we kind of read through, but I want to pick up about verse twelve tonight uh, of Philemon. Um, we'll we'll get through the rest of this tonight, and um, just some really interesting pieces in this. Some things that uh, I was able to dig out. A few things that I want to show you. Now, let me recapture this in case there's somebody that might be watching and some of you that are in the room tonight that might, have been, might not have been before. This is, um, this is Paul's letter to Philemon concerning Onesimus, uh, a, um, a bondservant, a, a slave uh, that has uh, run away from Philemon, his master. He has made his way to Paul. We've talked about some of the reasons why he may have done that. He may have come for asylum. He may have come at Philemon's uh, urgent. He may have sent him and then he just didn't go back. There's all kinds of what ifs. We don't know exactly. We have some pretty good theories on that, but uh, none of that is of great importance. The main thing is, is that Paul is now interceding on Onesimus's behalf. There's some interesting pieces that happen in the last half of this chapter. Um, let's begin in verse 12. Uh, Paul says this, I am sending him back to you Sending my very heart. Um, Paul, it's, it's interesting, Paul ties Onesimus to himself and to Philemon through mutual affection and love. Now, we've talked about this as we sort of built this case over the last few weeks for how Paul has reminded Philemon of some very important things that are a part of the body of Christ. Uh, this love, this mutual admiration, this mutual service. And now Paul says, I'm sending back to you. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I want you to, I want you to notice here, we're in verse 12. There's only 21 verses here. And Paul has still not made a direct request of what he wants from Philemon. He's still not said, okay, I want you to release this guy and I want you to send him back to me. I want you to treat him well. I think sometimes in our world, we so value the bottom line that we, we, we sometimes, I think, can just be pretty impatient with allowing people to kind of process through where they are. I know I've been that way, but I want you to notice that Paul is delaying a direct request of Philemon until all of this is understood. He is establishing uh, an understanding. He's reminding him of some things. Any of you ever find yourself in a situation where you have grown impatient or angry or frustrated with somebody that you love? <laughs> Anybody been married more than five minutes? All right. <laughs> All right. You ever hear words coming out of your mouth that you know without a doubt you're going to regret having said? Even while they're coming out, you're going, oh, that's not what I meant. We've all been there, correct? Uh, I think what Paul is doing is he's, he's not doing that. He is establishing a frame of reference. He is creating an understanding in Philemon's mind about who he is, about who Onesimus has become, and about how Philemon relates to Paul and how Paul relates to Philemon. He's reminding them of their relationship. 
And even though I don't think Paul is in any way leveraging Philemon, he's going to make it pretty difficult for him to say no. Listen, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending, watch this, I'm sending my very heart. Well, I'm sorry, I'm keeping it. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's, it, it, and, and I think that, I think from everything I've read in here as well, Paul and Philemon have a really close relationship. And so he is... He is reminding him of who Onesimus has become. Now, something I want you to think about for a second. That you and I live in a time that is some, um, let me just say 2,000. It's, it's, a, uh, it's not quite that, but some 2,000 years after the time of Jesus. We, we are connected to the things of the Lord and to the kingdom of God for the most part, completely through faith. None of us walked with Jesus. None of us talked with Jesus. None of us saw any of his miracles. We believe what we believe because we read his word. The Holy Spirit has birthed faith in us. But that's not entirely the case with the people that are in our story here. We don't know for sure, but there are many that believe that Paul would have seen and interacted in the, in the, uh, we, we don't have any record of Paul having spoken to Jesus, even though he may have. Um, but he was certainly alive and living in and aware of and coming in contact with the impact of Jesus' firsthand ministry. He is seeing Jesus on the road. I mean, he's heard Jesus speak to him. Uh, on the road, uh, when he was Saul, he was persecuting Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He has had personal interaction. He's also experienced some vision type things. Where he's, in Corinthians, he talks about, look, I knew a man once. was lifted up to the third heaven. We know that to have been Paul. The, the strength of the revelation that he's experienced. So both he and Philemon and Onesimus are contemporary to the time of Jesus. So when Paul starts talking about... This is our beloved brother in Christ. You and I might hear that like a sort of a religious rhetoric thing. But that's not what it, that's not what it felt like in that day. I just think it's fresher. It's, it's newer in their world. And so when Paul says things like, this is our beloved brother in Christ, the, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the miracles of Christ, that's all, that's all much more, watch this, it's much less... Let me say it like this. Jesus was outside the religious understanding of that day. He, 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 didn't, he didn't keep the Sabbath like everybody else did. He didn't, I mean, he was a radical for his day. He was sort of outside the religious establishment. So this new covenant that's come through Jesus, it is fresh. It is pointed. It's still sharp. It's still new. It's still transformative in, in incredible. The church is still spreading. The reason that Paul is in prison is for having preached. I mean, people are still getting locked up for preaching the gospel. I mean, that's happening here, but not, you know, it's happening today, but not like it was then. And so these things that Paul is writing, as I was thinking about it today, I was thinking their perspective is just a lot less and listen, I'm not trying to knock ours, but it's a lot less religious than ours. This thing about being our beloved brother in Christ. There's some things about that that I want to comment on in a moment. Let's look at verse 13. Paul said this, and there's a really interesting use of the Greek words here. He said, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. 
Paul once again links Philemon's own service to him through Onesimus. Listen to what he says. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. It's, it's almost like Paul is saying, listen, he's, he's here representing you. He's been kind to me like you would have been kind to me if you were here. He's helped me just like you would have, Philemon, if you were here. He's become dear to me like you are when you're with me. He's done things for me that you would do. I wanted to keep him almost like he's saying because I, I knew you'd want me to. Just, just so that he might serve me on your behalf. Paul once again links Philemon's own service to him through Onesimus. Philemon from everything we've read here and in the book of Colossians as well, Philemon has great love and respect for Paul. And in multiple different places, we can see where he himself has served Paul personally, where he's taking care of the needs of Paul. This also speaks to what Onesimus has been doing in the absence of Philemon. Now, you might, watch this, you might be tempted, as I was, I think, when you hear uh, let, let me say it in the most base way. This is a runaway slave. I wonder what he's doing. He's probably out, you know, he's probably out living it up or hiding or doing things that he shouldn't be doing. But no, that's not what Onesimus has been doing. He's been ministering to Paul in prison. Well, let's face it, that's pretty noble runaway slave activity. Amen? We don't know exactly why he comes to Paul we don't believe that he's saved when he first comes to Paul. He's been converted by Paul and become a believer. Now, as I said, it speaks to what Onesimus has been doing in the absence from Philemon. He's been ministering to Paul. He didn't run off and, and disappear and never be heard of again. He made his way to Paul. He was converted. And he's been spending his time taking care of me, Philemon, like you would do if you were here. How would that make you feel if you were Philemon? Anybody? Indebted. Yeah, he's been here taking care of me. Now, Paul doesn't say this. I don't think it's intended to be, you know, it's not intended to make Philemon feel guilty. But just like you would have if you were here, Philemon, he's been ministering to me. I wanted to keep him so that he would minister to me in your, almost like in your name. This has not been wasted time, Philemon, but rather something that I know you would value. He's been taking care of me. There's a, there's a nobility in there in, in, in that, isn't there? There's a, there's a warmth to it. Paul understands that. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. And then one last little singer here, during my imprisonment, that's bad enough, for the gospel. He's been ministering to me while I've been locked up for preaching the gospel. Now, there's a re here's the play of words that I wanted you to see. Does anybody know what the, um, any of the, this is a little bit of a test, it is. Can anybody give me one of the Greek words for the, for the word servant? There is one that sounds like an English word, and it's where we get this word from. We have, let me see, we got... Uh, uh, we got two of these people in the room tonight. Black. No, not black. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> well, there are two black people in the room, haven't you? <laughs> but there are also two deacons in the room. Yeah, I do deacons in the room. I want you to know I love you more every day. All right? Yeah. The Greek word, listen, there, there, there is a Greek word that is in a few places translated servant, and it's the Greek word diakonos. And it's the word that we get the word deacon from. Deacon's supposed to be a servant. Here's what's interesting there are other words for servant in the Greek. And every time the word diakonos or diaknio, diaknio in this case, which is um, uh, a verb or the verb form of it, um, whenever it's used, it, it always refers to, it, it always has a ecclesiastical or theological sense. It's not like he, he picked up his water jug and served him by carrying it. Some indiscriminate. No, when this word is used, it always carries a sense of the office of a deacon, of, of someone set apart to serve in that way. There is no usage of the Greek word diakonos that doesn't carry, in the New Testament, that doesn't carry that sense. And when Paul speaks of Onesimus to Philemon, he doesn't use a generic word. He uses that word. Some believe he's saying, this guy's in the ministry. He's been, he's been saved under my ministry, and there is a call of God on his life, and he is now commissioned as a deacon in the body of Christ because it's a unique word and it's used in a unique way. All right? The Greek word serve or minister here is the Greek word diakono used for a deacon or a minister of the gospel and it carries a strong inference of calling upon the life of Onesimus. So when Paul says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me, be a deacon for me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, here's what's interesting. And this is, this is my own thought. You know who's not called a diakonos? Philemon. So it's almost like Paul is saying, he left you, came here, got converted, and now the Lord has set him apart for ministry. Now you better receive him back and treat him well. You see what I mean? It's a... Now, that, some of that is conjecture. The, the language is not conjecture at all. It's not used any other way except in that, in that instance. And it's a really interesting placing of that, of that term. So, uh, it, 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 I think it's a powerful, it's a powerful uh, moment in this. In order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now... Verse 14, listen to this. He said, but I preferred, there's a really interesting thing here too, with all of this coming together. Listen to what he said. But I, he said, I, I would have liked to have keep him, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I, I didn't... I didn't want to make you do it. I wanted you to do it because you want to. 
Now, watch this. There's a, there's a really sharp contrast between verses 13 and 14. Paul says in verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him. Let me leave the other part out just for a minute. I would have been glad to keep him, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent. Um, Paul wants to keep Onesimus, but will not do so without Philemon's good wishes. It, it gives, this gives the sense that the request for his release is not a general one, but that Onesimus would be released specifically so that he might return to Paul. He's not just saying, I want you to, I want you to release him and, and just let him live his life. No, I want you to release him and send him back to me. I need him back here because of what the Lord's going to do through him. Now, there are two rhetorical points here. This is what I wanted, to see, wanted you to see in this contrast. First of all, Paul said, I wanted him here. What might Philemon's perspective be? Well, I wanted him here. Well, I want, him, I, I want to go over there. Well, I want to go over there. This, this is a little bit like, where would you like to go eat tonight? Oh, I don't care. Okay, let's go here. No, 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 I don't want to go there. Well, I thought you said you don't care. Well, I don't care, but just not there. Well, then you do care, all right? Paul is saying, listen, if I'm willing, here's the rhetorical point. Paul says, I preferred that he was here. But I wouldn't do that unless that's what you want as well. If, if Paul is willing to surrender Onesimus' service, then what? If I'm willing to do without him, Philemon, then you should be as well. Got it? And second, Paul says, I'm willing to submit my will to you, Philemon. You should what? Submit yours to me. All right? I know that that might seem, now watch this. Where does this not fit? I know that's too wide open a question. All right, let's, I want to, I want to walk you down a, a primrose path here for a second. Um, who's the guy in this story? I mean, who is the guy in this story? Who's the heavy? Who's the guy with all the authority? Paul. Isn't he? Who's the apostle? Say the word. Paul is the apostle. Y'all know that, right? Okay. Who's, who's, who's writing this epistle? Paul is. Who's locked up for the gospel? All right. So, and we've already heard him say, look, I could have just commanded this. And he could have. He had the authority. There's a, there's a leadership principle here that it's just hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for others. Paul is utilizing, all right, there are, there are two ways 
there are two motivations. I think I mentioned this before, but we're right at a place where I think you can see it. Um, there are moments in, my, in the raising of my children where th- there, there wasn't any place for there to be a debate. It wasn't going to be a wasn't going to be a give and take. It was going to be a hold my hand when you cross the road. <laughs> We're not going to. Why? I don't want to. Do you, you remember that? Remember, remember when your kids started getting to that place where you'd say, let me help you. And they say, no, no. You know, okay, sit there and try to tie your shoe for the next 30 minutes. All right. Do you, do you remember that place where they wanted to exert their independence? There were times when you would say, no, this is what we're going to do. But pretty quickly, there came a moment, and most, most parents recognize this moment, where you have to start explaining why things are important. You need to hold my hand because I can, I'm taller. I can see above the cars. You can't. I mean, at first, you, you don't do any of that. But it, eventually, there comes a place where you have to start, when minds start developing and reasoning, and certainly when they start, you know, becoming teenagers, you know, you, you want to just lock them up and let them out when they're 30. But, but you know that there's coming a moment where your role is going to change. And you're not going to be able to just tell them what to do. And they have got to have learned by that moment that you do have some wisdom and maybe they should listen to you sometime. And it's amazing how smart your parents get when you hit about 30. You know, parents go through a real stupid stage from about 13 to about 30 well, 20-something, and then, and then all of a sudden they're brilliant again. I don't know. The parents get smart again, all right? Paul can command this, but he doesn't. Now, why? This would have been a lot shorter epistle if he just said, I'm keeping him. Get over it, Paul. <laughs> in the name of the Lord, the, you know, in the name of the Lord, I, Paul, the apostle, command, Onesimus is free, He's staying with me. Hope it doesn't bother you too bad. Paul. See what I mean? Now that's a little bit like, what what do we call that kind of authority? Anybody know? He's using the other kind here. What do we call that kind of authority? Yeah, uh, what, there's a, watch this. Do it because of my title. What do we call that? Yeah, authority, but that's positional authority. You do it because of who I am, because of the title that I have, because of the letters behind my name, because my check is bigger than yours, my office is on the corner and yours isn't. I'm, mine's got P-R-E-S period at the end. Prez, you know, I've got, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm old, you're young, whatever. You do it because I told you to. Sometimes I just want to do that, all right? I'm not going to debate with you, boy. Make your bed. I'm going to whack you with something. Get up on something tall, and I'm going to whack you with it because I can't reach you, all right? Know what I'm talking about, John? You may be tall, but I'll take you down in a minute, all right? I'm I'm getting more concerned about that personally, all right? But that's positional authority. Why doesn't Paul just do that? He's already stated that he knows he can why is he doing this thing about, but I preferred not to do it without your consent? Randy, what do you think? I think he's teaching Philemon. I think he's teaching all of us something. Nikki, were you going to say something? This kind of, to me, he seems like he's trying to get Philemon 
Yes, amen. He's trying to get him to see that there is a kingdom bigger than the one that they're living in. And there are principles that that kingdom operates on. And, and, and he's trying to teach the body of Christ that, look, th- th- there, there are decisions that have to be made, but, but, but you don't have to do them over the top of people. That, that, that there, is a, there, is a, there is a kingdom principle at work here, and if Philemon sees it, and that's what Paul's been doing. He's been establishing the kingdom of God in his heart and not just the kingdom of this world. He says, look, I preferred. Why did he prefer? Because he's trying to teach him about how the kingdom of God works and how that Onesimus may have been seen as one thing by this world, but now he's seen as something else in the kingdom of God because of the blood of Christ. The same blood of Christ that who's been a benefactor of? That Philemon, the same thing that saved you, Philemon, has now saved Onesimus. He was a slave, a bondservant before, but now he's your what? He's your brother. Yeah. He said, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Watch this. There, Paul has a theme in several other places. Let me just give you one of them of not doing things out of compulsion. Any of you ever, ever had an employee that you had to watch all the time? And you just had the sense that if you turned your back for a minute, walked away, when you come back, they were going to be napping. Or they were going to not be doing their job. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul uses the same term. He said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I have never never been much for leveraging people for their tithe if you're not going to give it because you love the Lord you're not going to keep giving it anyway I might need to let you know that there's a need but if Mary Hall's not going to pay tithe watch that well I don't really like the preacher he preaches too long if she's not going to I use Mary as this example because we know she's going to be a tithe payer but if she's not going to do it because of the length of the sermon she probably wasn't going to do it anyway amen and I'm not going to wear myself trying to get blood out of a turnip. <laughs> All right? That there is this thing about the body of Christ. And we're all going to give an account to him. And if you're not motivated out of love for the Father, it's not going to sustain it. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, Philemon, you, you need to do this because you understand that this is your brother now, because this is the kingdom of God, because he's been transformed just like you have. You need to love this. You need to, you need to think this is as neat as I think it is. Paul says, listen, don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it because somebody's making you do it, Philemon. Do it because you, you, you've been transformed, because you owed a great debt that was forgiven you. And Philemon... Even though Onesimus was probably in debt to you, that's why he became a bondservant. I want you to release him from that. This doesn't, this, doesn't, this doesn't come without a cost to Philemon. This is probably an expensive transaction that Paul is asking him to be engaged in. I am... Um, there is an interesting other thing here that I've found today. I, I didn't, I, I had read these verses before, but I had not put them together here. 
Paul doesn't, he not only doesn't appeal to his position, he also doesn't even appeal to other leverages that he has. For instance, in the Mosaic law, he could have done this. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 and 16, Paul, do you remember what they called him? He called himself, he said, I was Pharisee of... I, and most people believe that Paul was on the fast track to the high priesthood. So he, he has studied the law all of his life. He knows these verses, Deuteronomy 23, 15, and 16. Listen, this is in the Mosaic law. You shall not give up to his master, a slave, who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, whether wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. Paul's got grounds in the Mosaic law. Forget that he's an apostle. There's the Mosaic law that says, I don't have to send Onesimus back. Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16. But Paul doesn't bring that up. He doesn't, he doesn't leverage the, the Mosaic law. Nor, nor the Romans, but rather, he says, listen Philemon, I want, you to, I want you to listen to what the Spirit is saying. Do you remember there are some other places where the Scripture says, not in the old way of the law, but in the new way of the Spirit. Now, we're going to study the book of Acts next. And when we Pentecostals start talking about the book of Acts, we usually want to get right to, well, we like, we like to start with Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power. And then we like to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. You know, we like to get in the upper room as quickly as we can and hear that rushing wind, see those flames of fire on their head. 3,000 red in one day and 5,000 the next. And man, now we're off. Woo! We got good doctrinal theological ground for us Pentecostals. This is the book of Acts. What, what, what is the... In, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and we've talked about this, but it has, a, I think, a unique context right here. When, when, when Luke writes about what the Holy Spirit's going to do, and, and this is after that, this, this letter to Philemon is in the early stages of the Holy Spirit spreading the church across the world. What does Acts 1.8 say that the purpose of the Holy Spirit will be, the primary purpose? But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We, we sometimes, I do too, we, we think of witnessing like I opened my mouth and I told somebody the gospel. That's true. But do you understand that for a guy to release a bondservant and absorb the debt perhaps that's there, and to send him back to be a minister of the gospel is an incredible witness. Do you remember what Paul insisted would happen with this letter early on? This wasn't just sent to Philemon. Who else? Yeah, this was going to be read in the church. And what do you think it says to people when they see Philemon say, Hey, come here, Onesimus. Give me a hug, brother. Hey, guys, join around. We're going to pray for Onesimus. Now, I'm making this up, all right? We have no evidence of this. But what if he gets this letter? 
there are many who believe that one of two people carried this letter. Either Timothy or Onesimus carried it back. And Onesimus brings this letter and Philemon reads it. I, I have no, I have no, but I get to imagine it however I want to. Maybe it takes him a day, maybe he has to process it, but then all the church that meets in his home, he says, hey guys, come here. Would y'all do something for me? What? He said, I want us to all lay our hands on Onesimus. He, he's been set apart by the Lord for the ministry. And I'm, I don't have any idea if there was a document or... Or if it was just a word or something. I mean, he said something special or, you know, if there was some ceremony. I don't know. But in some way, he said, let's lay our hands on Onesimus because I'm releasing him from his bondservant responsibilities. And I'm sending him back to Paul to complete his training and then to be used in the ministry. And come on, we're going to pray and believe God to do something great through him. Think about that testimony. Think about that witness. So when, when you next face cost that might not be fair, this isn't fair. Can we all agree that this isn't fair? We also don't know what else. Watch this. Because he says, well, a little bit later, I think it's in 18. Yeah, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. There's some that believe that he may have taken something with him when he went, or perhaps just by his absence, he's deprived Philemon of the work and the things. And Paul says, look, if he owes you anything, put it on my bill. And what if Philemon says, and I don't know, what Paul is asking that he do is demonstrate the grace and the love and the goodness that comes out of the kingdom of God and release this guy to go do what the Lord's called him to do without any, without any strings attached. And the witness that, that that is. Now, I really like positional authority sometimes. I told you to do it, you do it. But that's not what the word of God is indicating that Paul is doing with Philemon here. He goes on to say, and I love this, verse 15. And this is, a <laughs> watch this. Paul, th this is... This is difficult right here in verse 15. Let me read verse 14 with it. He says, um, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you may have him back forever. For this is perhaps, now there's a really interesting, this for this perhaps is a really interesting phrase. And almost everywhere else Paul uses it. Here's the way that, um, that lexicons and word study books and things use this phrase. That almost, almost, not everywhere, but almost everywhere Paul uses this particular grouping of Greek words that has been translated here for this perhaps is the ending of one thought and the beginning of another one. Every time he uses it, that's what it's about. Many people believe that the first part, all the way down through verse 14, is Paul sort of making his case, and that 15, and I don't know that I support this, but that 15 is the beginning of, of, of Philemon having made his decision and Paul responding to what he knows Philemon's decision has been. I don't know that I can 
get my head around that. It's, it's pretty obscure. But, but here is something that he's absolutely saying. Watch this. Paul says this. Let me use different words. He says, maybe this is why, instead of perhaps, for this perhaps, maybe this is why he was separated from you for a while. Now, what do you hear in that? Forget about what he said before. If I say to you, hey, maybe, watch this, Randy, maybe that's why Sarah didn't get a job till now. Terry, maybe, maybe that's why you had COVID when you did. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of an instance in somebody else's. Um, Kathy, maybe that's why you got stuck in the hurricane. Now, in all of those statements, what am I inferring? Now, this is, I, wanna, I don't know if I can get you there without you having to. What am I inferring? God had a plan. Now, getting stuck in a hurricane doesn't seem like a very good plan, does it? You with me? Sarah not getting a job until a particular moment caused some real difficulties. You with me? But, but that's what Paul, maybe, and, and Paul's really not saying maybe. All right? For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. We, Philemon, this, this could be why the Lord caused him to leave you. He made his way all the way to where I was. He's now been saved. He's now been redeemed. It was painful for you. I bet you were angry some. I bet you had some moments. But what I want you to begin to see is that this isn't just about you. This was part of God's plan. Now, it's going to be pretty hard to say no now, isn't it? Watch this. For, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. You need to know that this next phrase does not talk about, it's not talking about Onesimus coming back to live with Philemon. It's much bigger than that. Let me, let me say that again. Make sure you get it. The second part of this. The second part of verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you from a while. That next part, I'm not reading it because I want you to read it, is not talking about him coming back to live where he is. It's talking about something much bigger. What's the much bigger? What? It's bigger than that. Somebody said it. Who was it? Dana, was it you? heaven listen you, you 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 would only have him for a little while but because of what's happened in his life now he's going to be with you forever Philemon that's bigger than than the life that you had here that's bigger than what he was doing for you before it's bigger than what this world will contain you've gained a brother and because of him leaving you and coming to me, his soul has been saved. And now he's got an eternity forever in the presence of the Lord. You will have him back forever. Paul is saying, look, Philemon, this, this isn't all there is. This is. There is something bigger. There is something more important. There is something more consequential. There is something more eternal. And... 
That's why Paul is eased into this. He needs Philemon to see the kingdom, not just because I told you to. I need you to understand all that God's doing here. Paul is absolutely suggesting that Onesimus' fleeing from Philemon was orchestrated by the Lord. The back forever is not back to earthly service, but is a reference to the eternity that Philemon and Onesimus will spend together in God's heavenly kingdom. And listen to verse 16. You'll get him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, watch this, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord? Now, there's an interesting question here. Why would it be more significant to Philemon than to Paul? Because he says, especially to me, but how much more so to you, Philemon? Why would it be more significant to Philemon to receive him back forever than to Paul? Interesting couple of comments that I found about this. We talked about prodigals. We've been praying this week for prodigals. Um, let me tell you a story. I had a, one of my dad's sisters was an aunt. Uh, her name was Gertrude. We all called her Aunt Gertie. And Aunt Gertie never married. She was engaged long, long, long before I was married. She was older than my dad. Um, and uh, she was the only sister older than my dad. My dad was born in 1919, so Aunt Gertie was born about 1917. Right? And she was engaged to be married, and the young man she was engaged to be married to was killed on a motorcycle not long before they were to be married. And she never got over it and never married. And anytime I talked about riding a motorcycle, it was a big-time lecture from Aunt Gertie. All right? I lived with her my senior year um, in uh, the home that my grandparents had left to her. And she was a collector of eclectic things. One of the things she collected was coins. And another thing she collected was stamps. And so when Aunt Gertie died, she left me her coins and she left me her stamps. And I still have them. The stamps were in a big album type book and they were in plastic I don't know if you know anybody ever seen stamp collections the most prized stamp if you don't get the whole sheet you get the corner that has the numbers of the sheet you get the four you get the four stamps that came in the corner of the sheet of stamps that had the serial number on it that's the most those are the most uh, valuable stamps in a sheet of stamps and so that's what she collected from all over. Um, and Leanne and I were moving one time and somehow the stamps didn't make it. And I couldn't figure out who had gotten them. We had some movers that had moved us and the stamps were gone. And I was sick. Oh, still talking about it, it makes... I was convinced that, well, the, the movers, the movers got them. Something, something happened in a way that, that, uh, and it, it, it's still painful just to think about. They ran Gertie stamps. And we were doing something a decade later, a decade later. 
and I was looking for a blanket in Leanne's hope chest. And there were blankets and there were quilts and there were, and I went down through there and I felt something in the bottom of that hope chest. You, you know what it was, don't you? I was in the girls' room, I was down on my knees and I pulled it out and this is now t- like 10 years and wrapped in a quilt was that stamp album. And I just, just screamed this, this sort of, Leanne said, I didn't know what had happened. What's going on? She ran and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just uncontrollably just, and she said, what, what is it? And I said, I couldn't even touch it. Just held them up, you know, and uh, they were much, they still are more precious to me than they had ever been before. Why? Why? They had been lost and had been found. Now that's what Paul is talking about to Philemon. He is he is he is a beloved brother especially to me Philemon but how much more to you? Because you lost him. And now he's coming back. Not, not, as a, not as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. I was in a, uh, I was in a, in one of our presbyter meetings. Let me see if I can find this verse. Give me just a second. I think I can. I just want you to read it because it fits so well here. I hadn't thought about it until just now. I would have had it printed out in my notes, but I know it's in Corinthians and I know it's at the end of it's in Second Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to what Paul, same guy, writes. He says, um, verse 7, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Now listen to verse 10. He says, For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord gave me, listen, for building up and not for tearing down. How often do you think about worldly authority and people that use it it, it tears down. Paul says the authority that God gave me wasn't given to me for me to tear down. It was given for me to build up. And, and that's what this feels like in Philemon. Uh, when Paul says, look, I could make you do this. 
But that would tear you down in a way. I'm trying to build you up into something so that you'll see the kingdom of God. More to you in that the relationship more to you in, that has been severed is now to be restored. This brings a richness to the relationship that Paul hadn't, hadn't experienced with Onesimus yet. Verse 17, he says, so, so if you consider me your partner. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? I'm partners with Paul. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Think about how... Think about how Philemon would have received Paul. Paul's coming to town. I mean, he's going to make a room up for him. He's going to have food prepared. And he's going to call. Hey, Paul's here. Everybody come over. We're going to, he's going to talk. We're going to listen. Receive him as you would receive me. It's a powerful request. And it's the ultimate purpose of the letter. Verse 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, just charge that to my account. Do you really think that Paul's got an account that Philemon's going to collect on? Hey, Paul, last time you were here, you owed me two denarius, and I, I'm... Aren't you going to let me in the door? You paid me for what you did last time, then we'll talk about... No. See what I mean? Paul understands the relationship. Charge that to my account. What do you think the world would be like around you if you and I walked through life putting what people owe us on Jesus's tab. That's, that's a little bit what this is like. Randy, I know you, you, were, you were pretty impatient with me and it made me mad, but I'm just going to put that on. Uh, you, you don't owe me a thing. I'm going to put that on the Lord's tab. And he's got a pretty, pretty big balance on, with me. You know what I mean? He's still in, he's still flush. He's still way in the black. I put what you did on there. Do you know what that's called? To do that? To take the offense that Randy points at me and put it on the Lord's tab? You know what that's called? You do. That's called forgiveness. I forgive, all right, you. The word justification in the New Testament, we've talked about this. That's an accounting term. And it means that the Lord's righteousness is put on your tab, on your sin debt. He, we use it in accounting still. You justify the books. Well, you know, we got it down to eight cents. We're going we're gonna to justify that eight cents. And, all right. That's, that's what justification means theologically. This little bitty tiny book's got a lot of stuff in it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not as lightweight a 21 verse thing as you think. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This isn't just the, this isn't just the transaction between Paul and Philemon. Paul's teaching us something. Let me quickly move through the rest of these verses. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it <laughs> to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. That's Paul saying, and just remember, I got a pretty good positive balance in your account because you owe me your own self. Yes, brother, he gets right down to it. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Nikki, the fast is over. I need a pie. <laughs> You're a deacon. I want some benefit from it. See what I mean? 
That's a little bit like that. I don't really need a, you know what I mean? But that's like what Paul is saying. Look, I'm, it would be a little bit like, um, <laughs> like me saying to Jason, hey, look, I'll let you marry my daughter. Come mow my grass, buddy. <laughs> See what I mean? I got a little bit of credit here. You get it done, all right? Paul is saying, look, I want, but he doesn't just say, I want something. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. And listen to what he says. Refresh my heart in Christ. What, what, what do you think that means? Refresh my heart. Let me see you do this out of love and understanding of what Christ has done for you and the involvement that I've had in your life. And let me see a great attitude. And when I do, I'm going to be refreshed in the Lord. Paul says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. It would be pretty, nah. Now I'm going to have him arrested when he gets back here, throw him in the jail, and he's staying with me, and I don't care what you say, Paul. Really? No way, right? It's just not possible. Confident of your obedience, I have found that given enough time, and sometimes it is a very slow process, but if you have high expectations of people and you continue to encourage them, eventually they'll, they'll try to get to the standard that you set for them. You can make them do it. But that won't be sustained like... Now watch this. I almost gave it away here in that statement. I can, I'm, uh, I'm stronger than Leanne. I don't mean emotionally. She's way stronger than me, all right? Uh, I'm physically stronger than her. I can grab her and kiss her. I'm, I'm probably going to get sucked in the nose, but I, can, <laughs> but I can hold her and get a kiss. You with me? Or I can catch her sleeping, steal one. But none of those are what I really want, are they? All right? I can, I can say, hey, remember that tomorrow's my birthday. It, you could say that to somebody, but that's really not what we as people want, is it? Um, hey, if you go to lunch with me, I'll pay. No, what we crave is, and what Paul is talking about, and what's evident in the kingdom of God, and the example that we're supposed to be showing the world is love one for the other. And Paul says, listen, I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you're going to do even more than I say. I didn't have to leverage you. I didn't have to use my authority. I didn't have to make you do it. You are doing it because you understand the kingdom of God, because you're locked in on who Christ is, because of the price that's been paid for you. And you releasing Onesimus is just a, an expression of what the Lord's done for you. Verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. Now, just think about that for a second. Just think about that. No, Paul, I'm, I know you're coming, but nah, I'm not going to let this guy go. Oh, and I'm going to be there soon. Now, first of all, Paul doesn't know if he's going to be there because he's imprisoned. But get a guest room ready for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. I'm going to be allowed to come to you. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God and the 
purposes of God and the understanding of what Christ has done for us and the grace of the Lord and the, and the, and the debt that Philemon's been forgiven and the expectation that he's going to extend that to Onesimus, Paul being the mediator of all of that, reminding Philemon of who he is in the Lord and what has happened in Onesimus and what that has done to his standing and all of that. It's a great little one-chapter book, isn't it? Amen? Or is that just, am I, I got it. Sometimes y'all, I'm like, I'm like, man, I have completely numbed their brains right out of existence. I? It's good. It's good. Um, so tomorrow when you're in traffic, <laughs> remember Philemon and um, encourage one another to good works. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises of it. We thank you for the challenge. Lord, this is a challenge to me to take what people do and just place it onto you. Forgive because I've been forgiven. Persevere and serve to lead like this, Father, to lead out of a sense of the kingdom instead of just positional authority to... to, to be a, be a person in people's lives. Lord, this would be what I would like to strive to do, Lord. To be a person in people's lives where they have such respect and love for you that you don't ever have to lean on your position. That you've, that, that I've, that we've so invested love and grace and goodness in their life that, Lord, that, that it would just be it would be so powerfully effective for the establishment of your kingdom that we would be such a great witness of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit and your word in us. I want to be that kind of person, Father. Builds into people's lives in a way that they are linked, not by fear or by position, but by love. Help us all ascribe to that, Lord. It'll be a tough, it'll be tough, Lord, because I still fight with my flesh. And sometimes I don't want to take the patience that it takes to do it. I just want to tell people to do it. Lord, there's certainly a balance in here. There are some things that we don't have time to explain. They just need to get done. But Lord, I pray that the overall effect of our lives would be that people would serve because of the example that they see in us. And because of their great love for you. Use us to do that. Help us to serve our spouses and love them in that way. Certainly, Father, it begins at home. And then with those we work around and the people that we are engaged with, our families and people at work, let them see the love of Christ in us. Let us be servants. Let us all be deacons of your kingdom, Father, sent out by you, ministering to those around us. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here tonight.